does Elia Kane really work for in The Mandalorian Season 3? Welcome back to Nerdist News, I'm Hector Navarro, and today we've got another theory about the third season of The Mandalorian, which is currently airing on Disney Plus on Wednesdays. You know that we love to theorize about Star Wars here at Nerdist, and this season of The Mandalorian has given us a lot to chew on by having a secretive puppet master seemingly pulling threads from behind the scenes. And we've already done a video this week about who we think might be the big baddie of this season of The Mandalorian. So check that out if you had any questions about that. But in the meantime, we want to talk about a character who reappeared in the most recent episode, Chapter 19, The Convert. We're talking about Communications Officer Lieutenant Elia Kane, a.k.a. Amnesty Officer G-68, and how her allegiance might play into the rest of the season. Where do you think I got the biscuits? Forgive us for being murkier than a Dagobah swamp right now. To get further into things, we're going to have to discuss The Mandalorian's latest chapter at length. So, if you have somehow not caught up yet, go grab a photon fizzle and make sure not to touch any rocks while you're at it. <laughs> Please refrain from physical contact with so, sorry. Back to who Lieutenant Elliot Kane might be working for. The bulk of this episode follows Dr. Penn Pershing adjusting to his new life as Amnesty Officer L-52 following his stay at the Reintegration Institute. This allowed former members of the Empire to contribute to the New Republic, ostensibly to give them a second chance and use their knowledge to rebuild the Republic in the days after the fall of the Galactic Empire. There, he meets another familiar face from Moff Gideon's ship, Elia Kane. It seems at first she's also attempting to put her time in the Empire behind her, although it later becomes clear that she's still obsessed with the past. She remembers training in the Academy on Coruscant fondly, and she's willing to help the memory of the Empire live on in tiny ways, like by scoring some yellow ration biscuits. Where do you think I got the biscuits? The idea of former Imperials getting a chance at rehabilitation was mentioned in the novel Alphabet Squadron by Alexander Freed. The idea has real-world comparisons with the likes of Operation Paperclip after the Second World War. But the New Republic reducing people to just a letter and number combination shows that in some ways, the New Republic took the worst lessons from the Empire, stripping people of their personhood. This is also evidenced by how Dr. Pershing was submitted to the 602 Mitigator, aka the Mind Flayer. He was put through this experimental rehabilitation treatment without being able to defend himself or speak on his own behalf. It was a trap! So this episode has set up that while the New Republic might be good-intentioned, it still makes mistakes. And you all alone. Had to be a mistake. In the galactic timeline, these mistakes will add up and open up the space for the First Order to gain a foothold in the galaxy. Later, General Leia attempts to protect the New Republic, playing outside the rules by forming the Resistance. Which brings us back to who Kane is truly working for. She's definitely a double agent working outside of the New Republic. While she turns Pershing into the New Republic, she secretly fries his brain in the Mind Flayer later on. But under whose orders does she crank that dial to 11? Let's examine the evidence. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Uh, put it up to 11. 11, exactly. Flaying Dr. Pershing's mind will result in his unfinished cloning research never being obtained by the New Republic. As outlined in his TED Talk earlier in the episode, his research would have allowed multiple gene donors to contribute their DNA to one new clone. The end result of this, most likely, is to create some sort of Force-sensitive clone, giving Pershing's desire to use baby Grogu in his experiments. It's easy to see why an escaped Moff Gideon, or a nascent First Order, wouldn't want this information to get out. 
In the animated series The Bad Batch, we learned that the Empire destroyed Kamino in order to prevent cloning knowledge and technology from getting out. Palpatine wanted all of the knowledge himself to prepare for his return as a clone in The Rise of Skywalker. But the Empire, or the First Order, aren't the only groups who would want to ensure that Dr. Pershing's knowledge is destroyed. We learned the following from the parole droid about cloning and genetic engineering research. That class of research is expressly prohibited by the Coruscant Accords, Section 13, Subparagraph 7. My apologies. It seems the New Republic and those allied with the New Republic would want that information lost to history as well. And while the New Republic wouldn't sign off on purposefully flaying Pershing's mind, they'd only do it accidentally, maybe a group of vigilantes would. In this episode, Kane obtains Pershing's trust by convincing him that playing outside of the rules that have been set for him by the struggling New Republic will actually help the New Republic in the long run. Maybe, just maybe, she can be taken at her word in those moments. Then, in a later interview with that parole droid, Pershing asks, Our main objective is to help the Republic, right? Then again later, And that supersedes everything else? He's taken Kane's lessons to heart. And while Kane might have just been preying on Pershing's desire to aid the New Republic, there is another group that forms after the original trilogy who also believes that protecting the Republic supersedes everything else, even if they have to break the rules of the New Republic to do so. Maybe Kane fried Pershing's brain at the behest of a proto-version of the Resistance. We say proto-version because the beginning of the true Resistance is still a few years off. As outlined in the novel Bloodline by Claudia Gray, great book, Leia lays the foundation for the paramilitary organization about five or six years before Episode 7, after the Republic's capital moves from Chandrilla, where it currently is, to Hosnian Prime, where it is in The Force Awakens, and then gets blowed up. There are several clues that set the stage for what would later become the Resistance. The decommissioning of the Alliance fleet that gets mentioned this episode was a catalyst that paved the way for the formation of the Resistance. Plus, when they visit Mount Umate, the background music is March of the Resistance from John Williams' brilliant soundtrack to The Force Awakens. The Resistance is in the name of the song. We're supposed to be thinking about the Resistance during this scene. Sure, this might only be present to just get the audience subliminally thinking about the sequel trilogy in general, but there's a chance. There's a chance it could mean more. Sorry, pal. No chance, Cubes. Maybe Kane is taking a page from the Book of Rebellion figures like Cassian Andor, Saw Gerrera, and Luthen Rail. People who are willing to do whatever it takes, even morally repugnant things, for the greater good during the days of the Empire. Heck, maybe Kane got her hands on Nemec's manifesto, and she's following in their footsteps in the days of the New Republic to protect it when it can't protect itself. There's also the idea that Lieutenant Kane has a secret tie to a Star Wars character we've seen before who knows a lot about cloning on that other Star Wars series currently airing on Disney+. We're talking about the Bad Batch. Hello. What's that? Is there a chance that the young clone from that series, Omega... Omega, from earlier? ...is now working undercover as Kane to make sure the Empire doesn't get their hands back on the cloning knowledge in Dr. Pershing's head. We would just need to learn that Omega dyed her hair darker and dropped her lovely New Zealand accent... Omega. But the timeline could add up. And actor Katie O'Brien definitely comes across as though she could be a younger sibling to Tamora Morrison. Oh, this is the first I'm hearing of it. We'd also just have to put aside the fact that Omega was working undercover on Moff Gideon's ship for probably a very long time, but whatever, it's fine. It, we'll, we'll figure that out later. Where do you think I got the biscuits? We know that this could be a stretch, but it could be a way to tie more Star Wars projects together. Or maybe Kane isn't Omega, but is working for an adult Omega. 
from earlier? Wouldn't be the first time Dave Filoni brought back a younger animated character as an adult in live action. You. I didn't expect to see you here. But if we're honest, we have to go with Occam's razor, as we often do when speculating things here at Nerdist. Amnesty Officer G-68 sold Dr. Pershing out under orders of Moff Gideon, or whatever person Moff Gideon was answering to. And if you want to see more about who we think the big hidden villain of this season of The Mandalorian is, check out our Nerdist news that we did on the subject. What? But we want to know, what do you folks think? Who is Elia Kane really working for? Could she secretly be Omega? It's me. Let us know in the comments below. Thank you so much for watching. And for the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, stay tuned to Nerdist.com.